Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Khan, a director at PwC and I'm your host for this episode. The past year has shown us just how volatile the risk landscape can be, but it's also shown that how organisations respond to risk can set them apart from competitors as leaders who've demonstrated resilience and adaptability have tended to emerge stronger. Here at PwC, we've started a programme called Rethink Risk, a platform for a big conversation about how the risk landscape has changed and how we need to change our approach to risk. And we're going to dive right into that conversation today. I'm delighted to be joined in our virtual studio by two members of the steering committee guiding the focus of our Rethink Risk research, Kieran Boyle and Mohammed Khan, no relation of mine. Kieran is Chief Executive of Guys and St Thomas's Foundation, who seek to build the foundations of a healthier society by tackling the huge health risks we all face. Mohammed is a partner in our UK insurance and actuarial practice and a specialist in measuring and quantifying risk. So a very warm welcome to both of you. How are you both doing today? How are you, Kieran? I'm really well, thanks, Emily. It's great to be with you both. Um, uh, it's a sunny day in London, which is something that you don't hear very often. So I'm I'm good with that. Well, very nice to have you here today. How about you, Mo? How are you? Yeah, so I'm very good. So I'm in northwest London and it is sunny, as Kieran said, but it's cold. So we really need the sun to warm up May. Yeah, completely agree. I'm in East London, so we're covering off uh, three compass points there and it is sunny but cold here too. Um, I'm going to get us going with this big conversation and, and Kieran, I'm going to ask you to kick us off today, if I may. Um, and clearly this, the backdrop to this discussion about the need to rethink risk is, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, can you remember the moment that it became clear that COVID-19 was going to be a situation that we just hadn't experienced before mm. and that it was going to change things forever? Yeah, what a good question. I'm, I really can, actually. Um, and I think like everybody else, um, that kind of also that mixture of personal and professional of how the two were, were happening at the same time. So the personal one uh, for me was uh, as a family, we were in a hospital with our son who was an inpatient in hospital. Uh, and it was when the doctors were coming around and basically working out whether everybody was in the hospital who would normally need to be there, whether that was the best place for them to be. They needed mm. the beds, they needed things. And kind of that sense of kind of creeping, this is different, this is actually quite scary. I guess also like when it's your family as well, it get, it feels especially scary. And that was happening at the same time as, so I run a health foundation. And as a health foundation, we focused very clearly on uh, the inequalities in society, why health is distributed uh, uh, so unfairly in lots of ways. And there was all this language about how COVID was going to be hitting people equally. It was going to be this great leveler. But very, very early on, you were seeing that that doesn't necessarily look to be the case. And so it was those two things happening at the same time was kind of that, that personal sense, but then that sense that, oh, actually, this is repeating at scale patterns that have been there all along around our health uh, in, in alarming ways. Yeah, it's, that's quite a, a powerful memory there that you provide. And I can imagine that was, was very scary. And I hope your son is, is home and well now. Thanks. Um, Mo, how about you? Where was that moment for you? Uh, actually, it was easy for me um, because it was my birthday. Um, the 11th of February, it was when the WHO announced that they were going to name this novel coronavirus COVID-19. 
And I just thought as soon as they've done that, I knew that it was going to be a global issue. Um, and then it kind of seemed to accelerate after that. And, and just like Kieran, actually, um, shortly afterwards, my wife, who's a cardiologist, uh, was in a meeting at their hospital and, and she was told that, you know, she would be on the rotor to be the consultant for the COVID ward that when they, because they fully expected more and more patients to come in because they were starting to see it. Mm. Um, so it was actually as early as February that I knew it was going to be bad. I'm really struck by, in both of your answers there, the immediate uh, recollection is a personal one. And when I think about the conversations that we're having about Rethink Risk, that is right at the heart of it, is that risk is a personal topic. It's something that we worry about as leaders and even in a business setting. And so how you respond to it is also requires some, some personal outlook and consideration as well. Um, that's quite striking kind of as we get into the conversation that we've mm. gone there so quickly. Um, I am keen to pick up, Kieran, you, you talked there a little bit about guys in St. Thomas's and the role that you that you play have played historically and, and, and your purpose. And we've heard a lot of organisations throughout the pandemic talking about having a renewed sense of purpose as a result of the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about how, you know, what that's meant for you as an organisation, given that your purpose is all about kind of health risk and health recruiting. We've been through this shock. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't, for us, I think it's, so what we do is we invest in a healthier society. We go about that in 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 lots of different ways, but kind of the burning question for us is when we invest in a healthier society, uh, a healthier society for whom? And uh, as I said earlier, you know, health is distributed very widely uh, and in ways that are often very unfair, very inequitable. Um, and COVID is that pattern. So for us, I think there's a, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a renewed sense of purpose, but a, a much greater sense of conviction in uh, in the mission. So to tell a very kind of practical story of COVID is to tell the practical story of health inequalities over, overall. So as I was saying, it's kind of very clear that COVID hasn't been experienced equally. Yeah. Um, it's very clear that for some uh uh, for some groups, a lot of risks have landed at the same time. So if you live in an overcrowded house, if you travelled to probably multiple jobs on crowded public transport because you couldn't work at home, if you had little say over your working conditions whilst you're at work, your threat from the virus was higher. Um, uh, uh, and it goes beyond that. You know, your threat from that virus was higher if you live in polluted areas or if you lived on streets with few affordable, healthy eating options. It was higher if you had pre-existing health conditions, which were more likely to do at a younger age if you lived uh, in, in areas of lower average income. So I think for us as an organisation, I mean, that pattern is the pattern that actually describes a huge range of things from the distribution of childhood obesity to how you might think about mental health to how you might think about the distribution of other multiple long-term health conditions. So really for us as an organisation, I think what this has done has, has, a, has allowed us to tell um, uh, a more concise story of patterns that were there all along it's kind of it's fast forwarded a clock I guess. I, I really recognize what you've just been talking there about like the intersections between 
between these rifts and it's something that we're talking about a lot and actually on just the prior episode of this podcast that I hosted we were talking about the intersections between COVID-19 and mental health risk and diversity and inclusion many of which talk to the themes you were just talking about there as well um, and that does feel like something that's better understood now um, and that people are asking about and thinking about differently as we come out of the pandemic the kind of how those risks all connect um, one of the things, and I know you both know this because you're on the steering committee for the research, one of the things that we've been interrogating is how business leaders and the general public view risk either the same or differently. And we've been doing some public perspectives research to compare with our CEO survey findings on some of the key threats. And I've been really struck in that by how, how decisive members of the public are about what they are going to change what they've liked maybe about lockdown that they're going to do more of or things that they're not going to go back to doing um, and there are quite clear themes for instance on on how much people want to commute in the future or you know how much they're going to spend on certain types of activities that show that um, you know individually and personally people are feeling quite decisive um, and it's interesting comparing that with the kind of business mindset and the need for change and the need to be decisive and the parallels between the two. Um, I'm interested, you've both seen that seen the findings in detail. So I might I might ask you both, were there were there things that struck you in um, in what we've seen in that data is particularly interesting? It was fascinating, fascinating data, Emily. I think the thing that really stood out to me from the data was what didn't really seem to be on the list, but uh, like any objective taken things would say, surely this has got to kind of be the biggest risks that we're we're facing as uh, as society. So the main one for me was around climate. Uh, and uh, it was surprising, also a bit worrying, you know, that climate wasn't a top risk for business leaders. And I guess you can kind of see why in a way that it's um, it feels such a long way off. Of course, kind of the action that we need to do to respond to the climate crisis is action right right now. So yeah. um, that that was that was that was a surprise and a concern. Just following on for that, what I thought was really interesting, and, and Kieran's kind of intimated it, is is how high up it was for the public, because it was you know it was it was I think it was within the top three, and and I, I was surprised and not surprised by that, but because the thing that I was intrigued by. You know, Emily, you, you, me, and Kieran are always avid consumers of data and what data analytics tells us. But if we'd have run that public polling, let's say three or four years ago, I do wonder how high up in the public perception climate would have been. And I think because it's so important for the public, I do think organisations and businesses have to take heed of that. And think well what are we doing is what we're doing enough do we need to accelerate what we're doing i agree with both of you on that and i i'm struck actually it's it's interesting um hearing your reflections as a as maybe an observer of the ceo findings because many of us who who've read them every year have seen that actually climate's gone up the list but you're right karen it's it's not at the top yet and actually members of the public would put it much nearer the top which is is clearly important, as you say, Mo, when there are consumers and employees and, and wider stakeholders. And there was something within that, Emily, for me around, there was other data uh, in the survey, which showed that the public also 
uh, expect quite a lot of businesses, like kind of what's business's role in mitigating these these risks? I mean, very clearly, everybody was looking to government to kind of to be a huge part of the response. Uh, but business was business was kind of very front and center in what the public expected, like whose job it is to tackle this stuff. Uh, and I guess that's very interesting. I, I mean, as a foundation, we work um, closely with a lot of businesses because when you're focused on urban health as we are, you have to focus on who shapes the environments around cities. And, you know, yeah. a huge part of that is shaped by businesses and investors. And one thing I noticed in our work is that there are, uh, a lot of organizations that have huge potential to shape cities who don't really see it don't once it's shown to them are up for it uh but don't necessarily uh, uh uh lead from it lead from it and i wonder if if some of the experience of the pandemic will open up opportunities for more people and more businesses and more investors to to to, to reflect on what what can they do to mitigate these risks I think that's right, Kieran. I, I mean, I think one of the things that I found really interesting was in the public polling, how much more people expected of government and themselves than of businesses as well. So, you know, it, and I think, you know, it was quite, it was interesting because I think it's quite a UK contextual thing that, you know, as an example, 50% of the UK public thought that government would be best placed to mitigate the risks. And the, the the thing that I've been reflecting on, and 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 you you've actually explicitly mentioned it. There's definitely an I'll call it an opportunity for businesses and organisations to take the lead in the the uh, the way I phrase it is the increasingly changing environment we're in. You know, my personal reflection of 2020 was you saw an acceleration of many of the trends of what was already happening. So you know, how many of our listeners now? almost exclusively shop online during 2020 because we've been forced to now of course we were shopping online before but if you think about our post-pandemic shopping habits compared to our pre-pandemic shopping habits probably do more of that so a lot of the people one of the findings that i found interesting in the in the in the public polling was how worried people were about their economic circumstances they were worried about rising unemployment they were worried about you know, would they still be in a job they were worried about the changing nature of work about the automation of jobs. And I do think businesses and organisations can take, I'd say, more of a lead in helping people understand how they will help, you know, changing work patterns, how they'll help create new jobs. Yes, we'll automate jobs, but that will create jobs in other places. I'm struck that you both explicitly referenced businesses taking the lead in your answers that's clearly something that's come through strongly that the kind of role of business and business leaders in tackling these these uh, areas of risk and i'd like to dig into that a little bit more because clearly at the heart of that are our individual leaders that have been through that human experience that we that we started our discussion with so i'm interested in asking both of you you've got different leadership roles how has risk and your experiences of the last year transformed the way you're leading personally as you take forward kind of the areas of the respective organizations that you work with Kira maybe I'll, I'll come to you first with that question yeah um I've certainly lent into certain ways of working more and more it's um I don't know if kind of transformed but kind of clarified perhaps so certain things so uh the importance of 
coming at stuff from multiple angles, the real question of like whose voice is being heard has has become important for me. As I, and I'll, I'll give a practical example in a bit of of why of why that is. Um, uh, the importance of kind of seeing leadership as as yes, kind of setting the long term direction, but you know, really be willing to try things, to test it, to learn, and then have the ability to shape things differently as a result of what you've learned. It's really kind of clarified the importance of uh, of those uh, for me. Um, I think for me as a leader, um, at a personal level, um, it's brought questions of kindness more into the leadership vocabulary. And what I talk with my teams about um, uh, and that kind of sounds really f- fluffy, but I think kindness is actually a very important aspect of leadership that perhaps over the past year we've had an opportunity to explore as leaders uh, uh, more than we might have thought was important b- before. And I think it's to the benefit of or- of organisations. Um, uh, but if I may, just kind of very quickly on the... Uh, on, oh, kind of, on like whose voice is in the room because I think it's such an important one for understanding of risk. And I'll give a very practical example of work that work that we do. So, um, as um, as the pandemic kicked off, we were really keen to understand what was happening on the ground uh, uh, in the area of London where we where we focus most of our most of our work. But most of the kind of the approaches that we used to do that, we just couldn't do because of lockdown and that that helped us accelerate a, a partnership with uh, researchers based in the communities where we work so it's research with like the highest highest standard uh, done by people trained up to be researchers but based in the communities have kind of a cultural nuance to really understand what's going on and the areas we work are some of the most diverse areas anywhere anywhere in in the world and one of the things that came through from those community researchers very, very clearly was around concern with the healthcare system, a lack of trust in government and a lack of trust in the healthcare system as well, which is kind of counterintuitive because if you take the NHS, it's kind of one of the most trusted brands in UK in the UK, but not everybody shared in that trust. And why that was important to know is that when it came to vaccine rollout and questions of vaccine hesitation, you could kind of see the signals way before that was kind of that was flagging of concern to the health system or to ministers or hitting the papers or things. But whose voices were in the room to know that? Because the signals were there, you know, frankly, if people had been asked they would say so i think that kind of the act of leadership coming at stuff from multiple angles but really trying to surface the perspectives of people who can actually tell you the things you need to know um uh it's just it's just vital and that sounds so relevant for life beyond as well whilst the example you give yeah. is clearly anchored in covid that feels very true of of now and the challenges we face as we hopefully touch wood come out the other side does that resonate with you Mohammed? it does actually i mean i was i was really struck when kieran was talking about his comment on kindness um 
and I was thinking about it personally for me, the, the one thing that I've learned through 2020 and 2021, I, I'd kind of reframe it as demonstrating empathy. Um, when I think about any conversation I have almost with anyone now or on a video call, I'm, I'm much more explicit and deliberate about starting conversations uh, with asking people how they are, what's happening with them in terms of them and their family. Um, within our practice, we've actually got a Mumbai practice. And obviously, during March and April, you know, we've seen cases spiking in India. And you have to be really, really sensitive when talking to your team about it and being more, if I can phrase it this way, human. Mm. So that's an odd thing to say. But I, I, do, I, I, th I see it all around me as well. I, Kieran, I'd, I'd be in, I'm really interested in your view, but everyone I interact with now, I, I, I see it a lot more with them as well. It's like we've, it's like we've all changed in terms of bit, my phrase being more human. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting that kind of as leaders, we need to remind ourselves, um, remind ourselves uh, of, of that. And look, I, I agree with you. I think that's only going to get, more important um uh, i don't need a large organization but uh we're just 100 or people or so compared to your massive one um but i think take for example hybrid working um a lot of the ways in which we've learned to be with one another in a professional environment will just be massively changed uh, ahead and i think there is that question of kind of how thoughtfully are we uh, uh, are we leading into that? And what are some of the things that will be easy to forget? And I think kind of the being human aspect will be dead easy to lose in this in this transition that we're seeing in the world of work. Yeah, I completely agree. So you know, at PwC, we recruit or we recruited one thousand three hundred graduates in September, and of course, we recruited them into a virtual world, basically because everyone was at, was at home or they were at their flat or they were at their house. So uh, one of the interesting things I always think about in terms of just leadership at the moment is, and, and it's even more so when we go to the hybrid world, is what kind of culture do you want to instill in people? And how do you do that? How do you communicate that culture in a, in a virtual world? I think that's actually quite a key risk for many organisations because they, they may have had a, a very strong culture but how does that continue when many of your interactions may actually just be through a computer screen? Mm. I guess that brings us, uh, it takes us back to something that you, that you mentioned earlier, uh, Emily, uh, Mohammed, around kind of that we were all speaking about the role of businesses in affecting like, positive social change. Um, and I think that kind of that question of culture and values is such an interesting one for me. Um, so as I say, we're an organization that works with people, with decision makers, be they in government or big business or in civil society, and they might run massive organizations or they might run grassroots one. Um, and we work in close collaboration. And the thing that I've always spotted, having spent a career trying to do this sort of kind of this cross-sector stuff, is that we talk about sectors or kind of the institutional backgrounds, but we don't often talk about the values and the cultures. Uh, and often there's huge alignment there. 
So um, uh, we work on childhood obesity as an issue. Uh, as part of doing that, we work very closely with um, uh, fast food companies. I mean, a bit of a strange place for a health charity to be, but it's important. And actually, the, uh, the individuals that we're often working with in those fast food companies, um, which are responsible for uh, those companies are responsible for major public health challenges the individuals we're working with are very very values aligned and actually trying to end at the same sorts of outcomes that others coming from different backgrounds you know be it in government or civil society are just got kind of got different tools and mandates available to them so i think kind of this question of of, of how do you surface values and spot for cultural alignment it's kind of really critical to how do you then get that sort of integration? And in particular, how do you get businesses more involved in these things that the public are expecting of them uh, as relates to the health of society around them? I think that's so integral to the kind of spirit of rethink risk is that these, you know, these big thematic risks that we're talking about, we've touched on health risks, we've touched on climate risk. No one organisation can tackle them alone at a systemic level or even for their own organization because we're all interconnected in you know complex value chains that mean we need broad coalitions to to work these things through and i think you're absolutely right that where you can find common ground in values and purpose particularly given that so many organizations have have felt such a renewed sense of their purpose coming through the pandemic there feels like a real opportunity there for collaboration in some of these areas which is I personally find quite exciting. I'd agree with that, Emily. I'd probably go further. I think one thing that the past year has surfaced, and I touched on this before, is just the the ever-increasing pace of change as well. And and it doesn't matter, you know, almost what sector you work in or, or what part of the country you're in. You can kind of... The, the past year has, has kind of brought that all to the surface. Um, and, and therefore, you know, the dynamic risks we all face are just all around us. So, you know, increasing digitization, increasing automation, increasing use of, you know, mobile phones and personal devices in the world all around us. And you kind of have to think, okay, so almost irrespective of the kind of organization you work for, you know, what are the, what are the risks that you therefore face? And those risks are changing all the time. And one of the things that, you know, to, to come back to your original question about, you know, how's risk transformed the way that I lead? And one of the things that I'm trying to do with all the teams around me is to, well, one, acknowledge all of those changing risks and say, well, look, you can't be on top of all of them. You can't mitigate them all away. So you've just got to acknowledge they're there and almost drive that culture through the people I work with, Mm -hmm. uh, through the organisations that we're in. And I think that's the purpose of Rethink Risk, genuinely, which is, you know, I think we always think of risk as a negative word. It's all around us. It's just here. You just have to acknowledge it. And the question then becomes, what, what do I do about it, given that it's there? And I think that's the important bit. And for, and for me, that, that's been the big learning point from 2020 and 2021. You know, risks are there. OK, so what are we now going to do about it? I would I'd just jump in on that, Mohammed. I, I couldn't agree, couldn't agree more that um, certainly in my experience, you know, there's a lot of time spent diagnosing the risks, which of course is important. Um, uh, the facility to respond 
um, and to respond well and with agility and with kind of genuine insight and understanding into what's happening, surely that's got to be where we're where we're where we're basing basing the the effort. I mean, even to kind of just take uh, take COVID, which is you know variously being described as kind of a as a black swan event, except it wasn't at all. We we knew that a pandemic was coming. I used to work in government. Um, I was involved in uh, drawing up the lists of things that we worried about as a country, and pandemics were on that list, you know, ten years ago. Um, but had we collectively spent enough time thinking about how we would respond to things when, to your point, Emily something was so big that it impacted on everything at once. And COVID kind of has shown that in an accelerated way. Climate will is showing that at a huge level, albeit over uh, a longer a longer time scale. Um, but kind of that ability to respond, that was to respond collectively and to respond with emphasis and understanding of the system, systems that are around you, that's that for me is kind of what's exciting about uh, the potential of rethinking risk. I agree more because a simple example: what happens if we have another global pandemic and touch with that doesn't happen, or you know we go into lockdown again? What does that mean for organisations? Well, in my industry, the insurance industry, you know, one of the thought processes that you've got to think about with all this digitisation and is well, okay, so if a claim event occurs, so let's say you damage your car, or you know something happens to your house because of a storm. Well, why can't we just transfer the money? There's a really simple example for, for doing that repair straight to the customer. Because if we're all stuck at home, then what they actually need is access to the cash that they, they can then commission someone to go and fix the house. Um, and it's just a really simple example to your exact point of, well, we know the risks are there. To your exact point, they're not black swan events. They're more what one of my colleagues calls it a grace one event that the COVID nineteen was a grace one and not a black. It's a, it's, it's a great pigeon, isn't it? You know, yeah. swans. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's it's not a swan at all. It's uh, no disrespect to pigeon lovers out there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, we, we've got technology. We, we've got. It comes back to my earlier point. You know, what's the opportunity that we can see, given the risks that we face? We are almost running out of time, and we've got right into the heart of Rethink Risk. So I am going to ask you both for a tip for people who are just starting to think about this today, having been listening to our discussion. If you were going to give them one piece of advice to start Rethinking Risk for themselves, what would it be? Um, Kieran, I'm going to come to you first, if that's okay. Um, uh, lots of people are talking about the importance of kind of, in these very uncertain times about setting yourself up to learn uh, and I think that's good advice so the bit that I would give on top of that is um, set yourself up with the ability to make changes based on what you've learnt. Um, I think that's an underexplored area so important to learn but in some ways even more important to put yourself in a position that you can actually really change yourself based on what you've learned. Brilliant how about you Mo what's your one tip? Um, don't think of risk as static. Think of risk as being dynamic. Kieran mentioned it earlier. Listen to all the voices around you in terms of the risks and then say, okay, it's there. How can, what's the best way? What can, what's the opportunity for me to navigate that dynamic risk environment? 
Sounds like we're rounding out this episode with a focus on both listening and learning, which feels quite apt for the discussion we've just had, certainly for me. Um, and that is it for another episode of Business in Focused. Thank you both, Kira Mohammed, so much. Fascinating discussion. I've really thank enjoyed you. it. And I hope the first of many. Um, and of course, thank you to everyone for listening. And if this conversation has got you thinking about how you can rethink risk, please do visit our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash rethink risk, where you can find the research findings that I mentioned earlier in this episode and a wealth of other insights and stories to inspire you. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. Thanks, everyone. And stay safe. Mm -hmm.